All right. Once again, it's on. We're running, y'all. Running with war. Live on YouTube. We are Regal Radio. War Media. Fast breaking on y'all. We getting we been we in mid season form already, guys. I think you know they we we didn't have to we didn't have to worry about the restart because we always ready to go. So uh, this is the foursome right here, connecting off four corners like like Dean Smith is our coach. Hey. We got Drew Stevens on one on the lowest lower left, or yeah, lower left I guess that we all seeing it. Josh in the high post on the on the right, Chris on the low post to the right, and I'm up. I'm on the wing, high left, you know, because I got that stroke. As always, we getting it. Oh, Jack! Ja, oh, ja. you gotta break them off. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta break them off. Dribble, man. That's what I need from you, man. I'm so pulling up either way, though, Kyle. That's what I, this is what I did. This is what this is what I did back in college, bro. I was stroking that bug. So you were gunning. I'm, I'm doing a little both. I'm gonna do a little both for you. Yeah, you were gunning. <laughs> they they was treating you like Kobe for real. It was. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we back at it, man. Nice, nice to see y'all, man. Another session, and um, yeah, let's just have some fun with it. We got a nice guest this week, uh, a well-respected writer, uh, been doing it for a minute here in Chicago and uh, on the national level. You could say with SB Nation, Ricky O'Donnell is going to join us in about a half hour. So we're gonna, you know, just talk. We go, you know, this is the eve of the the restart the bubble you know letting us the you know the first eight games of the of the rest of the season they're going to start down in, in uh, orlando thursday night so we're going to definitely get in the preview in that but we're also going to get into some wnba talk you know chris is always down for that and the rest of us as well and uh no sky have gotten out to a real nice start down there and uh, WBA has, you know, I th- there's some issues that I kind of have, too, with the WNBA, the way it, it was promoted. But it still looks like they've they've done well ratings-wise and such with their opening games. So we can, we can get into some of that, too. But, um, you know, also, you know, in general, we're going to look at the league, maybe throw out some predictions since we're getting to the real games now. And... Um, you know, it's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The NBA, comparing it to other leagues like the NFL and the MLB, there's been a lot of drama with them in regards to Corona and, you know, people worrying about how they're even going to get their, their games off. But the NBA is in a good place right now. They've had two weeks now of tests with no um, no positive results in regards to coronavirus, COVID-19. The only drama we've had has been sort of a, of a light drama, you know. Depending on what on your on your position, your point of view with Lou Will, and um, you know, let's 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 run that off first. You know, Lou Will had the if you if you follow an NBA, you should know this story. Lou Williams, Sixth Man of the Year, key player on uh, Los Angeles Clippers, uh, had a family funeral, I believe. Right, he was gonna he was attending in Atlanta. And uh, you know he was in his in his home area, so 
you know, he, he, he did what he had to do with his fam, but at the end of the night, he had to, you know, he had a taste full of some wings, wings named under him, you know, named after him at one of his favorite spots, Magic City. And, you know, I'm, 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 one thing I'm amazed at how good that food actually does look at Magic City. So we, you know, I, I'm, I'm more and more on his side every day with this. The more that I learn about Magic City's food, I'm more and more on Lou Will's side. But, you know, he was, he, I guess he was in and out, I guess, you know, not in and out, quote, quote. And um, he, he was, he, he, he wasn't there for a long time, is what I'm saying. He got his food. But he, but he was there with this rapper Jack Harlow. You know, Josh. Maybe you could talk to me about that. He seems to be more of your age range, I guess. But uh, no, the guy took a picture with Lou in in the spot, and what what sort of gave Lou away is the fact that he was wearing a mask that was being that was given away to the players in the bubble in Orlando. So they couldn't. They tried to play it off like it was. Um, an old picture, but it, that you know the mask sort of gave it away that you know it, it happened while he was in Orlando, uh, no, during the time that they were convening in Orlando and they were in the bubble and they were supposed to be, you know, going by these rules. So you know he's he's since gone back. He's uh, quarantined himself, and this is this is actually where you can get a little serious with this is that. This is one in you know several sort of stories with the Clippers, where they've had issues with players, you know, be it with you know, injuries or quarantine or whatever, or, or players who have stepped back, you know, and you know they're supposed to be one of the the main contenders in the West for the Lakers, and they're going to be playing the Lakers on uh, you know the opening night tomorrow, the big battle of LA once again with those two, highly anticipated, but they're going to be short. Quite a bit, you know. With Lou Will among the players, or several players for the Clippers who won't be there. So the guys just jumping off on that. You know, what do you think about that situation? And do you think that the Clippers are going to be negatively affected in any way in the long run or the short run? Anybody remember what it, when it was that uh, those guys got? Uh, found out having been at the club down in my and down in Atlanta, Patrick Ewing and them. When was yeah. that? That was, was like that? was like ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, I remember what you talking. That was a big deal. So was, was um, EPM, not EPMD. Uh, Dos Effects had that in a lyric. I'm up in the strip club, wilding like Patrick Ewing. Anyway. Uh, the clip. The Clippers got some work to do now. I mean, it's only regular season going to the playoffs, and I, I would expect Lou Williams to be back by the time playoffs come around. But I think it, it's it's kind of um, a contrast, you might think, with other leagues that have gotten started and have put themselves inside of a bubble. Um, we're not talking about MLB, but MLB had 14 uh, players on the Marlins test positive. Um, and now the Phillies players, I believe no no positive tests for the Philadelphia Phillies. But um, it, I think it's kind of odd how you've got a couple of leagues where guys feel like they have to get out, which is something we talked about the last time we convened. And then you have some other leagues 
Um, honestly, and I, I hate to make this comparison, but it seems like most of the women's leagues, you don't have people that you hear about dipping out of the bubble. Now, no disrespect to Lou Williams. He had a family issue, and he had to slide over to Magic City. But it's, it's odd to me that it's odd to me that it's happening when you see when you see and hear stuff like that. Basically, unsupervised exits from camp, from the retreat. So, I think the Clippers will be fine, but I hesitate to hear about what's going to happen with the rest of the league um, if anybody does get sick and they ended up having to shut it down. Yeah, it doesn't take much, you know, and you know the NBA of all leagues should know that because they would have. The league that sort of jumped out the window first with all this back in March. Exactly. And you know, it only took the one test, but even that that one test gave way to a couple other players on the on Utah being found out that they had the virus too. And you know, it, it doesn't take much to spread it. it so yeah, I, I see what you're saying, Chris. But, you know, uh Josh, Drew, we wanna jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, I, obviously, because this is more of a serious family matter that he has attended to, which is an unfortunate common theme within the NBA's restart that most, a lot of players have to, have to, you know, go through. But the reality is, even though even with the other players that have had to make their early exit, they came back perfectly fine and they didn't have any issues with, you know, getting caught doing activities that even though they may seem normal to us. Um, it's unfortunately a different norm for the NBA that they, for the NBA players that they can't fully follow. Um, and I think to whom much is given, much is required at this point when it comes to the NBA players and, the, and within their restart, uh, that bubble restart because of the severity of how serious this virus is. They you have to have a tight leash, whether you like it or not. You have to follow that tight leash and. That's what the NBA is trying to do, and I and even though it's an unfortunate situation, kind of got to applaud the NBA for at least trying to apply that action because, just like earlier in March, you guys talked about earlier in March how one test blew up the whole season. You can literally have another test within the bubble, and it could it could potentially blow up the bubble. So you have to really be, so NBA players really have to be that much more cognizant of what they do, even if it is just as simple as literally going somewhere to get food because the NBA is not trying to take any precautions. They're trying to take all precautions and they're not trying to take any risk, especially with the fact that if this bubble doesn't finish or go as planned as they would have wanted to, they have to break up that CBA most likely and they got to start over and they're, and the players then is going to get screwed compared to what they already deal they, they have now. So. At the end of the day, they're gonna be more. They gotta be more. Players just gotta be more cautious. But as far as the Clippers is concerned, I think they'll be fine. Um, they are already doing pretty well without um, Montrezl Harrell and, and Patrick Beverly. Players, other key components um, that players that they have for their roster, and the bench has stepped up. Um, that's one thing about the Clippers. You can say compared to other teams in the league, they have one of the most uh, de- deepest benches in the NBA. So. Yeah. For situations such as this, so they have holes that they can fill um, that are better than other NBA teams may have at this point. So I think the Clippers will be all right, but NBA players they really just got to be more that cognizant because for their specific situation and, and the fact that they are literally the only sport that is currently going through this bubble aspect and not having any issues with it. 
um, you don't want to, uh, the NBA doesn't want to take any risk with that, and the players just have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. You know, Drew, before you, before uh, we get over to Drew, my, I want to back up a little bit on what I said. I saw the photo just now that Jack Harlow posted. Lou was wearing his mask, and I'm, I would assume at a, such a famous strip club like Magic City, they would have hand sanitizer. So I'd have no reason to doubt that he's not taking every precaution possible. I get that he went somewhere else outside the bubble, like he broke protocol. But if he was just like wiling out, like if he had a photo of him touching a dollar bill with his bare hands, then that would be different. But this this isn't even that big. So I apologize, you know, for kind of getting on him earlier and making that comparison. I think he took I think he took the necessary precautions. You can't you obviously have to you're taking a chance every time you step outside or get near somebody, but I don't think what he did was that bad. Now they like Josh said, they do have to take precautions to make sure the season goes as planned, but I was a little harsh on him. It they, you know, I think there was one thing where they said it's been said that he could have had a pickup there. He could have had the, you know, the contact was pickup, which you know, so many, so many uh places like that have have you know places that deliver food or serve food have right at this moment. So he could have he could have been a little more discreet if he wanted to, but he he was in a place where he felt comfortable. So he you know he was just sort of wanted to kick it for a minute. You know, I think Lou Will is a general. He's not seen as a menacing guy or a guy who is, you know, who is, who, who is typically does think. When we think of Lou Will, we typically think of him being a cool guy in general, you know, cool enough to keep a couple women on him at, at most points, you know. So he, he just, you know, I, I think it, I think he'll get past this eventually as we get to the, in these real games and stuff. And like Josh said, you know, I think on the Varsity Show special that we did last week, I kind of mentioned the uh, Clippers as a team that I like going forward, and I still feel that way, even though they have some of these issues with the players. But, but like Josh said, they're still a deep team in their top players. When you look at George and uh, Kawhi, they're still there. They're, they're being responsible, and I think that's the most important part for them. So, uh, Drew, you want to jump in? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add that, I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's just the aesthetic of it being that he was at a strip club. Had he been in Walmart, you know, some other place like that, um, not a script location, he, he wouldn't have got this amount of buzz for it. I yeah. think um, the good that came out of this, it shows just how serious Adam Silver and the rest of the NBA brass is about keeping this bubble tight. Like, I think with um, – Christos Porzingis um, and Paul Millsap, they both got a one-day quarantine for missing their coronavirus test. Zion, I think he was on a four-day quarantine and he got back from an excused absence. Um, and obviously, Lou Will getting a 10-day quarantine just to make sure um, there's no slip-ups and that this, this bubble stays secure, stays intact, and everybody's health uh, remains where it needs to be for this to go off without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it sort of goes into the whole, you know, the the momentum leading up to the bubble was with you know a lot of people sort of joking on the on the NBA and you know predicting sort of things that could happen like it was gonna be like a black porpoise or something, and you know this whole thing sort of fit into it with you you know like you said it could have been much more 
you know, it could be much more normal, like like him going to a Walmart or going to you know any type of regular function. But he was at a strip club, and that sort of <laughs> that sort of plays into the whole thing with the NBA, the NBA player being typically, you know, having girls around them and having a good time. Whereas, you know, it's more of a stereotype type thing. So. He inadvertently, I think, played into that, and that definitely made the story more salacious and more uh, more of a thing that fed into the news cycle, you know. But in the end, you know, like I said, it's just it's just something that's gonna make its round and and be done with, I think, as especially when we get to tomorrow in the real game. So, well, you know, just wanted to get into that because you know, it's, it's so many people have talked about it, and it is kind of fun, but. And it has a little bit of an impact with a contending team, but it's not, you know, not that big a deal. But I, uh, you know, as we as we, uh, you know, approach Ricky coming on with us, uh, Chris, you you kind of mentioned in some ways uh, a willingness to sort of generalize, but not generalize in the WNBA, you know, in, in the wobble, and uh, we're not seeing in Bradenton, we're not seeing or hearing these type of stories. It's more of a a normal, it's more of a uplifting communal thing, you know, the way that they're devoting themselves to the the, the uh, Black Lives Matter messaging that they're doing, Rihanna Taylor in particular and everything. And I've, I've listened to uh, some reporters talk about, you know, uh, them doing, um, you know, babysitting other people's children and stuff in that in that area, and doing just doing things that are positive and uplifting, and then I think it feeds into a, a sort of positive momentum overall with that with with the WNBA right now. They had a pretty good first weekend, but I was sort of irritated, and and I I saw some people mention this online over the weekend as well. It's sort it was sort of like. They just popped up these with these games. Like with the NBA, we had we've had this large run up of hype, including the broadcasting of uh, you no know, scrimmage games. But we didn't have any of that with the WNBA. You know, it just was like, oh hi, uh, hi, there's the opening games. But on the on the good side, the games were broadcast nationally on CBS, ESPN, and ABC. Uh, among others, and you know, it was it, it looked like a pretty good weekend overall for the WNBA, in spite of the the lack of publicity leading up to it. So, Chris, you know, start us off on on that. What do you think about the the first few days of the WNBA so far, and how they managed things in the wobble? I think they've done really well. Um, you know, the first couple of days we had the story about the laundry room, the conditions at the hotels, Diamond De Shields wasn't able to get a vegetarian meal, all that stuff. But the, the W and the NBA on both sides really cleaned that up uh, very quickly. Um, there were a couple of people, a couple of players, uh, the Indiana Fever in particular were hit hard, like most of their team couldn't travel because they had a couple of positive tests before so they had to remain back. Erica Wheeler on the uh, the Fever, who was the All-Star Game MVP last year, she still hasn't been able to go down, but she's close. So there's, there's a few players that have been held out for sure due to positive tests. But otherwise, they're, they're really treating it 
like we talked about, right? Like that AAU camp, kind of like a family camp. It's it's more pronounced, I think, with with players in the W. Just you you see you see a few more players who are, I think, in the prime of their career or early in their career. Um, you see them with their children. I'm and I'm, I don't want to generalize again because I, I do watch more WNBA than NBA right now. But Candace Parker's there with her daughter. De'Erica Hamby on the Aces is there with her daughter. Um, there's so many players who are down there with their kids and they're hanging out on the sideline during practices, during games, uh, masked up. It's kind of like how you see you've seen Chris Paul's son grow up, and he's with him all the time in all the commercials. It's like that, but times like 50, you know. And they've got plus ones down there. Um, they have they have to pay for expenses, but it, it contributes to that family atmosphere. I do recall seeing a few commercials in the lead up. Uh, Diamond to Shields was featured in in an ad leading leading to the return of the league. But you're right. The practice games weren't televised nationally. The scrimmages weren't televised nationally. We saw some clips on individual teams' websites, their social media accounts. But, I mean, the WNBA is still trying to, I think, play it smart on how and where they market because there's still jerks who are like, who cares, you know, Oh, there were fans there. Like, and and now it's getting even worse. Uh, that when the teams left the floor before the national anthem, you yeah. had Ted Cruz's bum bum ass weighing in, Tommy Loren's yeah. bum ass weighing in, and Tommy Loren was especially pointed because she's supposedly an advocate for women, and you know she got kicked off her job on the Blaze for speaking out in support of abortion rights. So you would think that she would back women in, in this case, but that's a, that's a whole other story. I now think she's just gonna I, pander to the right wing when it comes down to it as well. For sure. But it's it's odd. I think this pandemic and the lack of sports and pro- a lot of the ill will generated by MLB and their contentious restart has been a silver lining for the W because. People want to watch basketball. I mean, the NBA is coming back, and the NBA is going to support the WNBA no matter what pundits might say. And they've done really well in that. The story about Kyrie Irving offering to pay uh, salaries of players or part of salaries for players who've opted out, that's a massive story. That means a lot of the people who are fans of his and fans of men's basketball who want to cop and say nobody's watching it, they don't have that leg to stand on. Grant Williams from the Celtics posted about it. Andre Iguodala posted about the game, and people ran up on right, him just because right. he didn't say Ariel Powers' name, which I was I read it, and I was like, man, they're kind of doing a lot, but that is important. We're in the midst of the say, your name, say her name, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor era. So that's really important that people actually did make a point to say, if you know who she is, you can look it up, say who she is. So the WNBA has done really well. Those first few games have been very good. There's been a couple blowouts, but that's from the teams that we expect to win. A lot of the stars are back. Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner. And the Sky in particular, after kind of a, a rocky but exciting win on Sunday, they blew out Candace Parker and the Sparks last night. So you're going to have the main teams making noise for the finals, and you might have some surprise contenders like Chicago, who aren't surprises come the end of the season in uh, in a few weeks. Yeah. All right, let's uh, we have our man Ricky O'Donnell. Uh, oh, sorry, Josh, but uh, Josh, yeah, just go ahead and say what you say, and then we'll we'll, we'll bring Ricky on. I don't know. I was just gonna piggyback off of what Chris was saying. 
about how this pandemic really showed the realities of the WNBA in all facets from motherhood to um, the lack of respect that the league deserves. And I think, the, like, like uh, Chris mentioned, the NBA has done a good job as far as supporting the WNBA for everything, but the WNBA has probably been one of the most boldest, uh, boldest uh, leagues when it comes to supporting social justice. And they utilize their platforms in tremendous ways to help bring attention to the realities of what we're dealing with in society, not just from a woman's perspective, but as from a minority perspective. They're hitting all the angles that, you know, even though other people are, they, they, they're, they're, they're using it to a, a higher degree when it comes to those protests and, and uh, speaking out against those social injustices. And while doing that, but also being able to take care of their children, um, I think it's a story that's very much overlooked because it's hard. I mean, I mean, you hear the story so often about the unfortunate realities of black men and black fathers not being around for women and their children. So to be able to, to see them actually go on their daily routine, work a daily full-time job of being an WNBA player, follow the protocols of CDC and try to stay quarantined, while also following those quarantines and also raising their children, that's a full plate that they're handling on top of all those social injustices that they're fighting for. And to do that within a bubble and still be able to come out on TV and perform and in a way really show the, show, show the world that they can ball out too and that watching WNBA, NBA games are actually quite fun to watch and be entertained by, it's a, it, I think it's a unique story that isn't highlighted uh, as much as it should. Yeah, well, that's well said, Josh. And there's so many, you know, uh, so many layers you could go into in regards to talking about how women can be the backbone, uh, no, really are the backbone of so many social movements. And the WNBA has a has a long history now that, that they're building on, um, really representing from the sports side, representing, uh, you know, social justice movement and in, in in this incorporation in uh, professional sports. So they deserve, definitely deserve their props. And I, I love seeing them, them walk off on the anthem. I'm, I'm an abolish the anthem sort of person. And uh, I think Brittany Griner has been quoted now saying that the anthem shouldn't be played in, uh, before sports mm -hmm. games as well. So I'm 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 definitely rooting for, for that. And, uh, you know, like I said, big props to the WNBA for all that they do to represent themselves and men and and people of color all around. So definitely a big big props for that. Well, let's bring on our man Ricky O'Donnell, man, the first time runner with us, basketball editor, SB Nation. What's up, Ricky? How you doing? Hey, guys. Doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, glad to have you, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for supporting. And um, yeah, man, we 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 you know, you may have heard we we're getting starting off with some WNBA stuff. You know, we talking about the league in general, but let's let's talk about the sky. You know, with Chicago people, and you know, I think right now the sky are representing as well as any pro team in the city right now. They they got up to a real good start in the wobble. And like Chris said, they ball. They ball pretty tough yesterday against LA. So, um, you know, maybe Ricky, maybe you can start off with that. Uh, what did you What do you think about the the Sky start in particular, and their two and zero start in the way that they've uh, sort of asserted themselves in their early games? 
Yeah, they're just a really fun team, really likable team. Uh, you know, they had kind of a breakout season last year. I'm going to throw this out there. Are they the only Chicago team with a good coach? The rest of the Chicago teams, like, you know, it's very much up in the air where if they have a good coach, but uh, Wade's awesome. Uh, last year, I think the Sky had the best offense in the league besides for the Mystics, and the Mystics were like 10 points per 100 possessions better than anyone else. But the Sky were number two, so that's pretty good. Uh, and it's just like a fun team. Seems like, you know, a good group uh, with great chemistry. Uh, you know, they have a few players who have been there for a while. Vandersloot who I just get so many Steve Nash vibes watching her. I mean, uh, she's just like a magician with the ball and the way she's able to manipulate the defense with her eyes and like make plays, even though she's not like the biggest or the most athletic, but she is so good. And Quigley has been there forever. I grew up in the same part of the world as Allie Quigley. I think she's from me, uh, but she's from Joliet. I went to high school in New Lenox. So uh, you always heard a lot about Allie okay. Quigley, right? When we were growing up, she played basketball at DePaul too. So she's just been in the city forever absolutely elite shooter that was an amazing uh game winner she hit against the aces they run the hammer play setting a screen for her she pump fakes hits the step back so that was nasty and yeah i really think that the sky just have a really fun likable team a really good offense which seems rare for chicago sports uh during any moment of time and i think that you know i i was not super into the sky before last season and then when they able when they were able to like you know sort of bounce back and have a breakout year. I started to get more into it, and now I love watching the team. I love following the team. I think I'll be a lifelong fan uh, after I started to get into it last season. So they've been a great group to keep, keep an eye Chris, on. Yeah, definitely. They, like I say, last year was a breakout, and it seems like they've keep it. They're keeping the momentum going in this year, and I think a, a nice. A nice addition that we're seeing, or a deepening of their of their talent, is being seen on the front court. Chris, it seems like they're a bit more dynamic now. Gabby Williams has really stepped up, and they had uh, Cooper has been playing. Uh, Kalia Cooper has been playing. Uh, have you know a couple of good games too, starting off. What do you think about the front court play they've been showing? Well, Kalia Copper, she's she's a mold. She's in the same mold as um, Diamond DeShields, who was their at most athletic offensive weapon. Might one, might maybe one of the most athletic players in the entire league. But she's dealing with um, right knee inflammation right now, so she's been in kind of limited minutes. And Kalia Copper got a great contract extension last year, which was basically James Wade saying, "You are one of the pieces that we need to get to the top." And she's produced. She averaged seven points last year. She scored well above that in the two games so far. Uh, she's developed a, more of an outside shot, and she runs transition about as anybody about as well as anybody in the league. Um, Azaray Stevens came over from Dallas. She's a UConn product, and she is six foot six with a good slasher game. She's got an outside shot. Cheyenne Parker from Middle Tennessee, from Q Burrow. She's developed her range. Uh, we we did the post game interview last night, and I asked Cheyenne about teams having to respect her outside shot and that opening up penetration lanes. And she said, "Now all five, all five people can shoot from from distance." And basketball worldwide is about running the fl running the break and shooting from the outside. Now the Mystics did it last year, and it was a wonder that Connecticut stuck with them for five games. Big ups to Connecticut and Courtney Williams. But like Ricky said, they obliterated nearly every offensive record in the WNBA last year off the strength of being able to shoot the three and get down to the basket for easy buckets. So the Sky are really exploring, having that kind of movement, spacing, 
fast break offense. And that front court is a big reason why. Courtney Vandersloot, Alec Quigley, they're stalwarts. Gabby Williams is a real key for them. She was playing in France. She was developing more of a three-point shooting and developing more of her point guard skills as she'd been kind of utilized like a Swiss Army knife. And she shot 17% on threes last year, and I think she's seven for 16 so far this season. So that's obviously a massive, a massive improvement. If the Sky can do what they do against most teams in the league, and listen, Seattle has the best defense in the WNBA. They're going to be tough to beat with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, Natasha Howard, uh, Jewel Lloyd out of Maine South. That's going to be really difficult to beat Seattle. But I don't put I don't put the Sky out of making the finals this year. That's their ultimate goal. And that game yesterday against LA, even though the close win against Las Vegas, that was the first game. I think. They, they have a lot to prove to other people, but not themselves. Okay. It, this, there's been some talk about that rivalry sort of being a, an emerging one, if not the, the best already in the league now. Would you agree with that, the aces in the, in the sky? Oh, yeah. It's going to be tough without Liz Cambage, too, because she's such a lightning rod. She's great for basketball. She's like – She's like a Charles Barkley type player who's going to play and get your face about it, but still come away with a double, like a 2020 game. So it's tough for Las Vegas not having, um, not having a player like her. But Asia Wilson is, has the best mid-range back-to-the-basket game, probably top five, I would say, in the league. She had a fantastic game. Angel McCartry is a born shooter. So they're going to put up a lot of points on teams. The thing is going to be defense. But as much as Bill Lambeer is the worst, he is a great basketball coach. He won in Detroit um, as a player and as a coach with the Detroit Shock. So he's going to have the Aces playing good basketball. And it's always going to be fun watching those games. Um, the Sky downplayed that first game. They said, you know, we're focused on getting a win. Uh, Stephanie Dolson, who's always frank about things, she said, you know, like, it's not just the aces, like, they sparked that within us, but they wanted to, like, prove themselves to everybody. But those games, there's only going to be one more game against the aces, but it's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be a fun game to watch. Okay. Who, and and, and y'all could jump in on this. Who? What other teams should we be looking at, you know, beyond, you know, the sky and the aces and, you know, teams like L.A. and stuff, you know, Washington, they don't have Deladon. So that's that's like saying LeBron is not going to be in the NBA bubble. So, you know, what are their chances of even repeating and what type of, you know, what's the landscape going to be like once we talk about, you know, the playoffs and who's going to be able to, to actually win it all? It's going to be difficult for the Mystics. Um, they've still got good players. Tiana Hawkins is a great outside shooter. Uh, they picked up Maisha Hines-Allen. She's in, They're going to basically stick with the, the formula they had, but without Deladon, with Christy Tolliver um, on a different team now, it's going to be a bit more difficult for them to, I think, win in the, the dominating fashion that they won. But Mike Tebow's a good coach. They've got good personnel. Emma Mieseman is a great player. When you, when you have somebody like that who can play the high post and just kind of orient the offense around them, who's like 6'7 and can shoot from outside and still take it to the basket with great footwork around the post, you're going to win a lot of nights. I think it's just a little bit more open in terms of the, the teams who are going to make it to the semifinals. Again, I got, I'm going to keep saying it. Seattle is my number one team. <laughs> 
they're going to be so difficult. And low-key, if the Sky don't win, it'll be great to see another basketball championship in the city of Seattle. So um, it'll, I think it's going to be tough for anybody else to, to stick with the, the Storm and, and the Sky and even Phoenix once they get on track. But look, look for Seattle. Look for the Mercury with Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner. And look for the Sparks to rebound. They had a, a great third quarter against Phoenix on Saturday. So they're going to be a, a nice team too. What do we think of Sabrina? What are your early impressions of her in New York so far and sort of how her game translates up a level? She had the bad luck to go up against that Seattle defense and they basically triple teamed her on every catch and kept two, like they shadowed her on off ball movement. And she still ended up, I think, with 14 points. It was on 17 shots, but it was the first game of the season for her. She's going to be nice. You know, the, there was no lie in her play in Oregon, and I didn't get to, I didn't get to see her that much. It's it's hard to kind of gauge those intangibles like toughness and, and grit, but she's just she's just a tough player in terms of like she's not going to be denied on 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 screen. She's not going to be denied getting the ball off to the right person. She's going to find a way to make plays. She's going to find a way to get shots off. The Liberty are interesting because they have so many new players. But they'll still have Kia Nurse, who's a ball player. Laisha Clarendon came from Connecticut. She's a ball player. Uh, they're a ball player, excuse me. And Sabrina is just going to – I think she's going to fit in really, really well. It's going to take them some time to get on track. But in a 22-game season, it's not far out of realm of possibility for them to finish 500. And I think 500 gets you to the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'm just interested in her, you know, her long-term – prospects because I don't remember a player entering the league with as much hype as she had out of Oregon. Uh, she's putting up all the triple doubles. I know that Ducks team was really good. I think they had the second pick too, right? Sabali? Oh, uh, yeah. Satu Sabali um, uh, yeah. in uh, Dallas with Arike and Gubawale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's probably since since Brittany Griner burst on the scene back in 11. You're right. Nobody's really come in. I mean, the, the USA women's team has won every gold medal for the last five or six Olympic cycles, and that Oregon team beat them. You know, we, I don't know how long we could look back and think about a college basketball team since the U.S. started sending pros to the Olympics to beat the, the pro squad, you know, on either side. So it was a really – that was a that was a big moment just for basketball. And she she is the she was the face of that team. And it's one, even though they're in Florida right now, she's going to be in the middle of New York in Barclays Center with that team orienting. So I think long term, that's going to be huge for the WNBA's rise. Like players have been getting the league on a more even footing as time's gone on. But Sabrina is a, a generational athlete and generational in the terms of like regular people are like, yo, let me get that Sabrina Ionescu Oregon jersey, right? You know, Oregon's already famous for doing all sorts of different things with their kits and whatnot. And so people having her to look forward to, look up to, is going to be big for New York. It, basketball, it's going to be big for the WNBA. It's going to be big for basketball. She, I don't know how much more you can change the league, but I think she's going to be one of the people that brings it to the next level where you're going to find only like two or three people like talking about who, who, who watched that game tonight. And then 30 people are going to jump. I'm like, yo, I was watching. Why aren't you watching the game? Okay. Uh, 
let's 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 move over. You know, get back to the NBA and sort of stick to star power in New York. I'm gonna move us to some Bulls talk. You know, we'll, we'll mercifully do that shortly. But uh, first, let's talk about uh, the Knicks and them bringing in uh, bringing in Tibbs. You know, so Ricky, you know, you know, got a lot of history uh, observing Tibbs, and um, you know, just starting off, you know, what do you think about that move for the Knicks? And uh, you know, can he make a difference there and actually have some of the success that he did in? you know, transforming the Bulls when he was, when he was here. Yeah. I think a lot of people have skepticism with the hire. I totally get that, especially with the way Tibbs's tenure ended in Minnesota, basically went down in flames after Butler requested a trade. Uh, I think, you know, Tibbs, anyone could see from the outside. He like obviously has flaws in his approach. Uh, how Tom Thibodeau fits with the load management era, I think is going to be one of the most interesting storylines of his adjustment to the Knicks and to New York. But I think generally I'm pro Tibbs, man. I think that like when I think of the Knicks, I think of just like a garbage fire that's totally disorganized, isn't prepared. Well, that's going out the window with Tibbs. If nothing else, they're going to be very organized and they're going to have a game plan. And, you know, it's going to be the front office's job to get Tibbs some players because right now I don't really think you could expect anyone to go into that situation with the Knicks and to start winning games immediately uh, and even like long term, I think there's some real questions of how good some of their young guys are. Kevin Knox was, you know, he's still, I think, 19 or 20 years old, but he was a first round pick a couple of years ago. He's had a very slow first two years to his career. I think RJ Barrett's a good prospect, but, you know, the hype that RJ Barrett had when he was a high schooler before he got to Duke uh, really sort of like built him up in some people's minds to maybe being like this generational talent that I don't really think he is still think he could be a productive player. And, you know, what Tibbs could get out of those two guys in particular, I think is going to be really interesting. And they also have a really promising young center named Mitchell Robinson, who still hasn't like gotten a ton of minutes and a ton of workload in the middle for the Knicks, but absolutely freak athlete. And he was in the same draft class as Deandre Ayton, uh, Jaron Jackson, those guys, I saw him match up against them on the AAU circuit a couple times. And Mitchell Robinson was like bigger and faster than all of them. Uh, so he has a lot of potential too, I think, but generally with Tibbs, he has a track record of, uh, turning teams around. I mean, the wolves hadn't been to the playoffs in 15 years and Tibbs got them there by winning on the last game of the regular season, uh, a few years back with Minnesota and, uh, obviously, the Bulls took a huge leap up the standings from the eighth seed two years in a row to the one seed two years in a row under Tibbs's leadership and the development of Rose and Noah and those guys. So uh, I do think that Tibbs can be a good hire for the Knicks, but ultimately it starts with the roster. And right now, the, no one would be able to win with this Knicks roster. It really needs uh, a lot of added talent over the next couple seasons. And, and we talk about, you know, winning in New York. And, you know, of course, they're there've been some whispers about, you know, trans there were always whispers about them transforming their roster, but now that's being attached to the bulls in some way, because, you know, people are talking about Zach Levine heading over that way, either in New, in New York or maybe, you know, Manhattan or maybe Brooklyn. And, um, you know, it, it's an interesting situation because there's you no, know, apparently there's some rumblings about, you know, make, I don't know if it's Zach in particular, or if there's, if there's more players joining him, but people being people in the team being sort of frustrated with the lack of movement regarding Jim Broad. 
and you know you, we've had you had this great change with the front office but you know it's it's not the change that they that they want to see apparently not all the changes so you know could are we in a situation now where you know zach is where, where zach is frustrated and he may have to be traded or is it just like oh okay you can give me the money side what, what what's up ricky what, 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 what's, what's really going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from the franchise that chose Fred Hoiberg over Jimmy Butler, now they're going to do it again, choosing Jim Boylan over Zach Levine. It's totally insane, and really it's insulting that we even have to talk about this right now because there could not be an easier first test to pass for our boy Karnaschovas and just fire Boylan. Like, obviously, every time there's a new GM, the first thing he does is pick a new coach. Let's not even factor in that Boylan is, like, pretty obviously one of the worst head coaches in the league, if not the worst – uh, I think it's it is insulting to the fans that Jim Boylan's still the head coach of the Bulls, and the fact that they might actually keep him next year is just unforgivable. And you really cannot make the case based on merit that Jim Boylan deserves to have his job. But the fact of the matter is, ownership loves Jim Boylan. Ownership is you know claiming they lost all this money now during the pandemic. Of course, there's some truth to that. Uh, but Jim Boylan's, I believe, is the lowest paid coach by a pretty significant margin in the NBA. Maybe that's why ownership likes him so much. Oh, like performing these duties even beyond the head coaching role, apparently, last year, if you listen to you know the things Casey Johnson's been reporting lately. So ownership's too cheap to you know fire Boylan and pay another coach. Still got to pay Boylan's contract if you do that, even though it's not much. Uh, and they love Boylan because, I mean, quite frankly, he's someone who like kisses up to him. Uh, when, you know, there's been so much negative attention on the Bulls' front office. Jim Boylan's a yes man, if nothing else. So uh, the fact that the Bulls could potentially trade Zach because Zach doesn't like Boylan, I mean, just fire Boylan. Like, why are we doing this? This is totally insane. If the Bulls fired Boylan, you would never get another head coaching job in the NBA. So uh, there's no reason for them to be acting like he's some hot coaching commodity by any means. Uh, but I do think Zach could go. My guess is, given the way Karnaschovas has been talking, where he wants a patient evaluation of everyone, even Jim Boylan, despite the fact that you know anyone who watched him the last two seasons should see there's really no merit-based case for him to deserve to keep his job. Uh, I think Zach could go, but more likely Karnaschovas is going to take sort of a more patient approach. He's going to see what the team is next year. They have limited cap flexibility coming into this offseason once Otto Porter picks up his option. It's like 25 or $26 million. Uh, so I think, you know, really next year is kind of going to be a year where the Bulls are sort of like stuck where they're at. And then they're going to evaluate things, I think, you know, ahead of the next offseason when they have some more cap space and it's a better free agent class. Yeah, I think Cowley, uh, Joe Cowley over the weekend, I think he said that if they, if they you know, they had to make the payment for Broilin and they've got a new coach at like four mil, they still would be paying like half of what, uh doc is getting in la and you know uh what uh uh what's my man in san antonio is getting Popovich. Yeah. Popovich. so it's like like I, I tweeted out like there's still a great difference as much as the bulls have changed themselves with with uh connor Sovis and you know in the, this front office they're still they're still like i said the ownership is still there and the ownership runs this team like a penny Andy team, a mom and pop team, and they're not they're not on the level of a of a Clippers, which is it's so hard to say. <laughs> We're not on the level of the Clippers in regards to competing. 
and we're definitely not on the level of a San Antonio Spurs, which of course is one of the, the best, one of the best well-run organizations in the NBA. But uh, Josh, you know, we were talking about on the Dean Davis show yesterday. We were talking about, you know, trade, you no, know, the trade situation with with uh, Levine, and you know, I, I want to get your thoughts on that some more. You know, it. Do you think that? No, I, I as a fan, I kind of want to see. We were talking about like, okay, what would be better if he went to New York or if he went to Brooklyn? I kind of would like to see him in Brooklyn, but you know, New York. If you're talking about the Bulls, where would probably be better to trade him? The Knicks would probably be a better spot because you know the Knicks. For one, the Knicks are always willing to be fleeced, and you know they they kind of have. You know, say they could get a package of like Knox, uh, Dennis Brown, uh, Dennis, uh, yeah, Dennis, Dennis Scott, Dennis Scott, no, Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith, Dennis, sorry, Dennis Smith, they, yeah, they, they want Dennis Scott, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Smith, and it's the draft picks. You know, is, the, is that maybe the worst thing that they could do in regards to flipping? Of you know their best talented player right now, who who may not be a guy who you can really you could win, but maybe not more than 40, 45 games a year. I mean, I think it depends on the direction that the Bulls are, would want to take. Because if you trade Zach Levine, you're pretty much showing that you're going to do another rebuild on top of the rebuild you already started with him. Like that's why you made the Jimmy Butler trade was to rebuild and move the the Bulls into a direction where they thought at the time was the best way to build their foundation on. So if you talking about trading Zach Levine, you're talking about changing the entire foundation. And if you want to change the foundation, then you may look at the Knicks where he's like, okay, yeah, you may have a better chance of having a potential better foundation. If you want to talk about a draft pick perspective, and you'd rather leave that up to, to Arturis Karnisovic and Mark Eversley, which have been shown to have a track record of actually having pretty a good history of actually picking good talent. And developing that talent but at the same time if you want to talk about the net per se if you want to somewhat maintain the rebuild that you already started nets may seem like a better option because you can get potentially a Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert who are two who I don't think are better than Zach Levine but if you want, you want to talk about decent pro, uh, prospects they're better to me than you would get from maybe a RJ Barrett or a Kevin Knox so it really just depends on the direction of where the Bulls really want to go. I wouldn't personally trade them at this point because, I mean, if you're going to keep things the same, especially with the fact that they did come out and say that on paper with the roster that they have, it should have performed better than they did last year. So they already showed signs of them liking the roster as a whole. The problem was how do you develop the talent, which obviously goes back to Ricky's point as then you got to get rid of the coach, and it doesn't make sense for you to keep him at this point. But – I think at the end of the day, you really have to look at the direction at where the Bulls are going, which although it seems very clear of where they want to go, how they're going to get there still seems to be an issue. Okay. Let's, let's jump off the Bulls, but before we do that, Rick, Ricky, given given the history, the, the prior work that we've seen with Karnasovis, what he's done in, uh, you know, in Denver in particular, you know, what type of what type of, you know, just planning out maybe the next year or so, what do you see as maybe being some of the main, uh, you know, the main building points or main, 
you know, main building blocks that he may try to uh, instill, whether, you know, we don't know how much pushback he's going to get, but what, what do you think of some of the main things he's going to try to instill in this team as, as they go forward? Yeah. I mean, to me, like I'm sitting here wondering how much power the guy has. If you hire a new GM yeah. or a new vice president of basketball operations and he can't even fire the coach. So, you know, I think that it's definitely still a Reinsdorf run organization you know, never mind the fact that the Bulls still employ John Paxson at the top of the organization. They also still employ Jim Paxson. So they have all these people who have been there who kind of like ruined the credibility of the team uh, in the post-Rose and Thibodeau era. Uh, so I think, you know, what Karnashovas wants to do, like, I don't really have any unique in insight into that. I think that he certainly came with a good reputation, but it doesn't matter what his reputation is if his hands are tied in terms of what he's actually able to able allowed to do through ownership so uh you know and something casey johnson wrote at nbc sports chicago he used the the terminology that he wasn't sure if karnashovas wanted to cash in sort of a favor from ownership to fire boylan and immediately i'm like it sounds like this guy doesn't really have that much autonomy in the position so uh, i was someone who was definitely like sort of leading the fire gar packs bandwagon i've I wrote it so many times as forcefully as I could. Sure. I was thrilled to see that, you know, they, they sort of did it. I mean, Paxson just got promoted. They actually fired Gar. That was good. Uh, but they didn't clean house, which is what they should have done. And I think that still, like, we're talking about this, wondering how much autonomy, how much power does Karnaschovas really have? Uh, and to me, like, I don't know. I think that Trading Zach, while Zach's a really interesting player to discuss, he's obviously super talented. Uh, I think sort of the issue is that, like, Zach isn't cut out to be the best player on a really good team. And to me, Zach should be used more off the ball. Like, right now, the Bulls are putting the ball in his hands and being like, Zach, you're running the pick and roll. Zach, you're running the isolation every time down in the half court because they don't have anyone better who can do that. But, like, ideally for me, like, I would love to see Zach in, like, a Ray Allen – even Rip Hamilton type of role where he's running around screens, playing off the ball, able to like leverage his shooting to be closeouts. And obviously he has some like athleticism to attack the basket. But when the game gets in like half court settings and you just need like a high level decision maker, like that's not really Zach's game. And really it's unfair to Zach to even put him in that position in my opinion. Uh, so I wouldn't be totally opposed to trading Zach. And you know, if you get the Knicks first round pick, maybe it's a top six, top seven pick, uh, you know, I don't really know what the Bulls are building towards right now, to be totally honest. Like, you know, does Zach even fit with Kobe long-term in the backcourt? Like, defensively, is that going to be, uh, you know, good enough to win at a high level? Uh, are they good enough playmakers? Or are they kind of just two guys who are going to be instant offense, uh, you know, get them their own scoring going before their teammates? But uh, I think the Bulls have a long way to go. And uh, while I was excited to see Karnaschovas hired, I'm now very disappointed at the start of the Karnaschovas era because he has not passed the easiest test you can pass, which is firing Jim Boylan. <laughs> I hear you, man. And, you know, I don't know how many of y'all watched Breaking Bad, but I think, uh, you know, a good, a pretty uh, important reference in that series was half measures against full measures. And it seems like the Bulls are still stuck on half measures when it comes to really – changing up the the whole environment of their front office and what you know what and, and really formulating any coherent plans for the future they keep taking half measures in with that in that regard instead of full measures and uh 
you know, half measures, they, they, they don't lead to doing you doing much, you know, they lead to you getting your ass kicked more often than not. So, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's move on from the bulls. We, we moved on from non bubble teams. And, uh, there's, there's one thing I want to jump in before we get into, uh, do, do some predicting of the, of the bubble teams and, you know, who, who we're going to see, who we think we're going to see, you know, in the playoffs and, uh, you know, succeed in the playoffs. But there's something that popped up uh, recently on uh, a writer for Bleacher Report. Let's see. Let me get that up on my computer. A uh, writer named David Kenyon ranked the best basketball players from Chicago. I'm not very familiar with this writer. But he uh he got some attention for his list, and you know I, I how many of you guys have you guys read the read that list? Yeah, I went through that. Yeah, I think the main thing that jumps out is that he had D Rose as a honorable mention, and um, you know, I I I just don't understand that at all. You know, of course, you know we we all know Chicago has an amazing history of basketball players and the players that he put in a top eight you know they're all you know i'm comfortable going you know th this is the pro basketball podcast that we do and all these players on this list are you know pro guys there's no you know chicago when you're talking about the best players to come oh, from chicago, you're talking about pro all-stars talking about legends. yeah you're talking about legends you're talking about hall of famers and you know we we're still not sure, I guess, about, you know, we, if you compare, you want to compare Rose to, you know, his number one, which is D-Wade, who we know is the Hall of Famer. We don't know that with D-Rose yet. But, you know, you also have players like Isaiah Thomas on the, you know, of course, that are up on that list. And you also have players like Mark Aguirre, uh, you know, let's say Thomas is two. Anthony Davis is three, you know, already, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting list. And, you know, like I said, we all have pretty deep knowledge of Chicago basketball players. I'm sure we have our favorites. And, you know, I'm just not, I, like I said, I'm not understanding why D Rose wouldn't make a top eight of best Chicago basketball players ever. You know, how, how many of you guys agree with that? Yeah, here's what's funny about it. It seems like he's using Mark Aguirre and Terry Cummings, their like college careers at DePaul to sort of like elevate them up. But if we're gonna factor all right. that in, he's talking about high schools here too. Like Rose won two titles at Simeon his last two years, and none right. of these guys won MVPs in the league. I don't. Wade hasn't even won an MVP. So Rose is the yeah. only one who has an MVP, and you're not even put him in the top eight. Let alone the fact that like. I mean, Peak D. Rose resonated with the city in a way that isn't even close to any of these other guys. Like, Rose was just, like, Chicago's guy, right? Like, everyone, when he was at his peak, his approval rating was 100%. Everyone, like, really felt – I know I felt this way when he was at his peak. Like, I followed his high school career. I was excited to see what he could do at Memphis. And then when the Bulls got the number one pick, I just felt like – this is our guy. Like any controversy that popped up, I was there to defend D Rose always because quite frankly, he was at the center for a long time early in his career. Some like pretty silly controversies through the media mostly. Uh, but to me, like 
yeah, I just think that like Rose's MVP outweighs a lot of these other guys' accomplishments. And if you factor in like, you know, the full impact of his, you know, presence in Chicago, it, it is right up there with anyone. So, so I see this. I is want Drew to jump in. I want, you're right. You're right. You're right. Let, let, let's let, let, let Drew then Chris. But before that, uh, Ricky, right quick, where do you put D Rose on the Hall of Fame spectrum at the moment? Yeah, really tough question. Like to me, you retire his number if you're the Bulls because every time the Bulls try to give number one to someone else, the fans like freak out and basically like bully people with rose emojis on social media. So the fans have kind of retired his number anyway, if no one else can wear it. So yeah. they should retire his number. In terms of the Hall of Fame, uh, I'm just going to say the Basketball Hall of Fame doesn't matter as much as like the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame. It's not even the NBA Hall of Fame, right? It's just the Basketball yeah. Hall of Fame. So it like factors in a lot of different things. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not passionate about it. Like, in my opinion, it, I don't really care, if, you know, whether or not Rose meets some made-up criteria that we're saying to make the guy a Hall of Famer. All I know is that when he was at his peak, the way he resonated with this city was uh, really something special. I feel you on that. I feel you on that, uh, Drew. Let, let's let's get you back here, man. What do you think about this list? Do, do you? I don't think you're one for any D Rose slander as well. What's up with that? Yeah, no. I mean, I agree with everything that Ricky said. Uh, this list, though, it, it threw me off, man. It really threw me off the fact that D Rose only made it to honorable mention, like Ricky said. Um, some of these players that are ranked ahead of him on this list weren't even in a conversation for MVP during their career. So for him to not even crack that eight was kind of kind of weird. Um, I almost, I, I might flip-flop Zeke with D-Wade um, just because I think that Zeke may have meant more to the two championships that he won than D-Wade meant to the three that he got. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a toss-up, though. It's, it's especially the one that Wade got without uh, being a member of the Heatles. So that's, that's a tough argument there. Um, Anthony Davis is kind of high. I think that's uh, based a lot on just the potential, um, especially if he stays with the Lakers uh, and continues to do what he's doing with, with LeBron. Um, and again, these, it's, it's tough with these lists. I'm 37, and maybe four of these eight guys I actually remember seeing in living color. It's, it's always tough, man, with some of these because you're just you're going off a of word of mouth and old black and white highlights or things your relatives told you about how they how well they play, especially like Terry Cummings. I know he suffered a knee injury that kind of altered the direction of his career. Um, but yeah, just D-Rose not being in that top eight kind of threw me off. Yeah, I don't know how old this writer is. He may be 70. He got Mike in that four. So, you know, he, he may have he may be pretty old, I, you know. We may be disrespecting an elder here, but you know, I, I get you know, Mikey was an incredible player for his time. Of course, there's always, you know, there's, there's always a difficulty in engaging those things. You know, people like to disrespect people like Koozie and stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm not the guy to disrespect the elders, but they did play in a different game than we than we've seen since. So, you know, it's tough. I, he has like Mo Cheeks at five. And when you look at Mo Cheeks' numbers, Cheeks is a, definitely a great representative of, of Chicago. But you know, I would I would much more readily put him in a uh, honorable mention category than D Rose. You know, so 
Um, no, Josh, Chris, oh, Chris, yeah, Chris, you want to jump in? What, what you got? I was gonna say I could tell that we're um, the main theme is that we're upset that Rose was put in the honorable mention, and the first time I read it, it's hard because that ACL tear did really take him off. If this list was different, it would be if you had like the best Chicago area players who played in the NBA, Rose might be like five or six, even with the MVP. But my beef isn't really with George Mikan being on there from playing in the 40s and 50s. My beef is the fact that George Mikan's from Joliet. No disrespect to Ricky and New Lenox and out and out Southwest. But Mikan is from Joliet. He went to DePaul for sure. But he made a big deal in the opener about Naperville's not Chicago. And then he picked Joliet for Mikan and Oaklawn Robbins, really, for D Wade. So you gotta be consistent. Yeah. If you're gonna make a Chicago list, you gotta make it a Chicago list. Is if you're gonna do that, if you might as well throw Candace Parker on there for how ball how how good she is. But Rose should be on the top eight of this list for sure. Terry Cummings was a really solid player for some tough Milwaukee teams in the 80s. So I don't have a problem with him being on the list for his pro career. We know how good Mark Aguirre was in the pros too. Um, he he kind of he he was a bench player in in Detroit because that's how those teams fit together. They needed him playing off the bench, same way they needed Vinny Johnson playing off the bench. But he was a star in Dallas. You know, he he was traded for Adrian Dantley, and Adrian Dantley, no matter what the Hall of Fame criteria is, is a bona fide Hall of Famer. So Aguirre and, and Cummings definitely make their spots on that list. But Rose should be outside of Rose should not be an honorable mention. I fully agree with that. Um, I think everybody else who made it deserves their spots. You know, put Mike in the honorable mention category if you want to. But got <laughs> there's a story I remember from the book of basketball that Bill Simmons wrote for all his faults that Mike played the 1952 finals with a broken arm. Mm. So it was it was something crazy, and he had like a he said he had like. Like they wrapped it up like you see football players, like the secondary guys who play with their arm in a big cast. They say he was basically playing like that, and he still averaged like 22 and 13 or something. So you, as much as I hate it, if you're going to talk about Chicago area guys, because he was the first DePaul basketball star for a school that's turned out so many stars, he, he should at least be mentioned for sure. Josh, you're from Aurora, but the Aurora area, but we're gonna let you speak. Uh, you know, <laughs> yo. what, what, what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts is shout out to the six three yo. That's one of my thoughts. Thanks for highlighting Candace Park over here, Naperville Central Native. Hey, we gotta we gotta represent all parts of Chicago. So I gotta represent if you represent Joliet, you're gonna mention Naperville, you gotta mention Aurora Oswego from where I'm from. So shout out to the six three yo. Second <laughs> point though, as far as Derrick Rose, obviously Derrick Rose should have been in, in the top eight regardless. Um, and I think for me what really does it is if you want to really encounter the impact that he has within the city, I mean, Derrick Rose was literally the light of Chicago when he was in during his time with the Bulls. There, there was no way you're not going to a Bulls game without seeing Derrick Rose. Like, that's why fans showed up. That's why he had so much support within the city because of the fact that he gave back to the city and – the fact that he represented the city so well from high school throughout college and all the way coming back to, you know, his time with the Bulls. So, I mean, he, and it's not just he won an MVP. He was the youngest to ever do it. 
Like we have to, we can't mm. forget the fact that he was only, I want to say nineteen twenty maybe at the time when he won that MVP. He was the youngest person to ever do it. Uh, twenty two. So yeah, twenty two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for him to do it at that level and really be, I got on the path to really being arguably the best player in the league and arguably the best player since Jordan on that Bulls team. You have to get you have to give their uh, D Rose's props where it's due, and I think it's on a higher scale than what's being projected within that article for sure. Hey, can uh, can you guys, you know, just right quick offer, you know, a player who isn't on that list that you really associate with Chicago or, or Chicago area basketball? Like, like me, I'll I'll throw out Eddie Curry. Cause he he dunked on my man Matthew at Argo High School and got on the cover of the Daily Southtown Sports section, and we clown we clown my man Tech for that though. But he was a better ball player than all of us. But we clowned him because Eddie got him on the on the on the cover of the Southtown. So that was you know and, and Eddie was a beast man when he when he was in he's in high school you know he, and he got on and did his thing in the NBA of course straight from straight from high school so. But you know, players like 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 that who you know, you know, like I say they didn't make this list. They're not the all-time greats, but they're players who you really, really jump out. Maybe from your time in in high school and college or whatever, you know, or or elsewhere, you know. Drew, you muted, Drew. <laughs> Drew, he's still muted. Drew, <laughs> he's hey, going at I, it. I was me last in. time, so I can't even laugh. Yeah, you did do. You, oh, I, did I mute yeah, him? Oh. <laughs> nah, he muted himself. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, what did y'all? Uh, I was just saying, Will Bynum, man. Will Bynum to go along with Corey Maggette. Yeah, uh, Corey Maggette. Crazy, yeah. man. Just super athletic, stocky. Oh, man, he just – everything you wanted, man. Everything you wanted. Okay. Okay. Yeah, those yeah. are definitely two. I love I love seeing Will in the big three crossing people over like a, like a real Chicago guard. Like, he's he's timeless, man. He's really – he's I just I just love watching him play. I, I, I can watch him play basketball against anyone. Go ahead, Josh. No, I mean for me, from a during my era of basketball back in uh, high school, the main guy that really that stood out, even though he's not in the NBA right now, but Ryan Boatwright was that guy coming mm-hmm. out of East Aurora that won that championship mm-hmm. at UConn. Uh, he was someone that was really special. We actually got to play against him, and obviously it was a nightmare, but um, <laughs> he was someone that was special to come out of my area for sure. And but outside of him, the only two other players that I think. Um, that's really underrated, especially from a Chicago perspective, is Shannon Brown coming out of Proviso Yes, East. Uh, yes. Championships with the Lakers. And Michael, and for me, Corey McGinty slash Michael Finley. Um, Michael um, Michael Finley was a hell of a guy coming out the league, um, had a hell of a career, and he's doing big things now with the Mavs, um, helping turn that Mavericks yeah. franchise around. Um, so he was a hell of a player um, on the court, but off the court in the front office, he's doing this thing over in Dallas too. So so, I mean, I know I mentioned like three or four guys, but for sure, like for me, Shannon Brown, 
um, Michael Finley, Corey Maggetti, those two, those three guys for me really did it. Uh, that should that should get a lot of recognition. We talking about Chicago basketball. Okay, Chris, Ricky, what you got anything off of? I think um, not for not for the time in the league, but D Brown was my guy for those Illinois teams in the mid two thousands. Even though I was no, I I usually you know you usually like players who kind of resemble you. That's why Alexei Ramirez was my favorite player on the Sox because we were like the same height and the same weight. But D Brown was so exciting to me. He like the he, the human fast break that was his nickname, and he had the mm-hmm. high socks. He had the headband. He had the braids. And he was always on the run, and Illinois was my squad, and so I, I really loved like Luther Head was great. Uh, Darren Williams obviously made such an impact in the NBA before his career started to falter, but D Brown was absolutely my guy. And then honestly, you know, just for long term impact in terms of just being a solid player in the league, and then finding a second career, we got to talk about Doc Rivers, man. That's a Maywood Marquette guy. You know, he's. He played for so many quality teams at point. And then after starting out with Orlando and not doing that great, he's become a staple head coach. So I think we've got to talk about Doc Rivers too. I'll throw out yeah. Q Rich, right? Like Quentin Richardson Rich was awesome. I really remember him. He was the guy I remember like reading the newspaper in the morning and him at Whitney Young and then signing with DePaul. Yes. That was such a big deal. Q Rich had a pretty good career in the league. Uh, Pat Beverly's not on the list. Beverly obviously has established himself as, uh, you know, great long-term veteran NBA point guard. Uh, he was sort of a late bloomer in high school at Marshall. Really, like his senior year, he like really blew up and became one of the better players in the country. Went to Arkansas, had a sort of a star-crossed college career before he got gets to the league. Uh, and then, like the best high school player I saw, I'll give you two. My year, which was 05 of high school, Julian Wright was – people were talking about Julian Wright going to the NBA as a junior because he was supposed to be right. like a six-seven point guard. He ends up spending two years at Kansas, kind of had yeah. a disappointing college career. I still think he was a lottery pick. I want to say he was the 14th pick in that draft. Sort of flamed out of the NBA, but Julian Wright was a very highly touted high school player out of the area. And when, you know, when I was – he went to HF, Homewood Flossmore. Okay. Yeah. And then when I was writing about basketball in Chicago, uh, I always I always shout out Cliff Alexander, my boy Cliff, because <laughs> he was in the same high school class as like Carl Towns, obviously Julia Okafor from the city, also Miles Turner. And on the AAU circuit, Cliff was like tearing those guys limb from limb. Like he was yeah. bullying Carl Towns. No one, like Cliff was rated as a higher prospect than Carl Towns when they were both in high school and it was yeah. like basically cliff had like a six foot eight shack type game when he was in high school where he was so strong and so powerful and just such a physical player too at an age when a lot of kids you know might be not physically developed enough or might shy away from physicality cliff was just like jumping over guys backs for rebounds dominant shot blocker i was at the city title game in chicago state when Cliff's carry team played Jaleel's Whitney Young team, I want to say it was like a three or four overtime game. Uh, Ron Emanuel was like sitting courtside. That was a really fun game. And yeah, I always thought that Cliff kind of got a raw deal. And, you know, you could say the same thing about Jabari too. Both those guys, I kind of feel like when they entered the league, the NBA game changed. Where like Jabari, I think would have had a really good NBA career if he entered the league in like 2000. 
But mm. at the moment he entered the league, the league kind of changed where like now teams were like spreading the floor a little bit more and playing less isolation ball. And suddenly there was a greater focus on efficiency and, you know, just being a two-way player. And like Jabari, I think, could have got buckets, you know, on anyone for a long time. But then his sort of shortcomings uh, overshadowed his strengths. And same thing with Cliff, like, you know, when Cliff got into the league, it's like he, you know, his skill set was sort of similar, let's say, to like Andre Drummond's, but he was just too short. He was like six eight or six nine. But there was a time when, like, you know, power forwards could be a traditional power forward, and they would have put Cliff in there, and he would have been a great rebounder, interior scorer. But as soon as Cliff enters the league, now it's like, well, the power forward's basically a big wing where you need to be able to shoot and handle. And then Cliff was too small to play center. So I kind of think that both those guys were a victim of circumstance in terms of like how the NBA game evolved as soon as they entered the league. Yeah, it's, it's a definitely, they definitely caught tough breaks. I mean, the, the interesting thing we talk about Jaleel though, is that even in, in New Orleans, he, he flashed some game last, you know, last year in, in particular. Yeah, he had some, a couple stretches but it's like, like you said, Ricky, the, I think the narrative around him just got too suffocating too. It's like, you know, people, you know, people will, will highlight his deficiencies, especially on defense. And it just became like, yeah, you know, we can't deal with this dude, man. He's, he's, he's nothing. But I still think at least on the offensive end, he can, he's a rotation. He's a decent rotation guy, I would think, but he's, you know, he's not going to be the guy who, we sort of thought him to be when he was coming out of school, like that, you know, that all American, you know, number one pick guy that we thought was going to be. Yeah. It's like exact same thing. Like the book on Jaleel, when he was like entering the Duke, entering the league, was like, this guy's one of the best post-scoring prospects we've ever seen. And I kind of think he is, and he sort of lived up to it. But the problem is that like now when a center enters the NBA, the first thing you're asking is like, can they defend a guard on a switch on a pick and roll at the top of the key? And really like lateral mobility becomes much more important than like post scoring, which would have sounded crazy to someone in 1995 or whatever, when the whole game was like dump it into the block and, uh, you know, run your offense around the big man. So he fits in with that idea as well. Yeah. But, but uh, no, he's, he's on that Pelicans roster. Still, and, still in the uh, league. No, yeah, yeah. So he keep getting it, keep getting it, Jaleel, and maybe we'll see something out of him tomorrow when they go against Utah. Um, you know, uh, doubleheader to start the season tomorrow, and uh, Battle of LA is, is going to be the nightcap. So you know, just to end the show, you know, if you guys want to just throw out maybe a, a favorite that you have. And in, in, in each conference, and maybe a dark horse, you know, you can maybe one major dark horse or, or one for each side if you want to. If you want to give one for each conference, you know, what 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 are the teams that you are really anticipating to make this whole bubble thing sort of exciting and and you know make it something that we could possibly remember for being more than just an an unique way to end the season. I mean, I would, I would really love for the Blazers to get in the playoffs, even though that means that we wouldn't get John Morant going up against uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. But, you know, 
Flamion Lillard, that's my guy. They're getting Nurkic back. I, I hear little bits about them being a dark horse playoffs team at the at worst. So that would be really interesting. Again, they'd be they'd probably be playing the Lakers. That'll probably be a first round exit. But I always want to see uh, Dame and CJ in the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to make the the finals or anything. Absolute dark horse would have to be the Nuggets just because they got Bol Bol playing. I don't know how much he's going to contribute, but he's a solid player who can give them some more height around. And Jokic with the weight loss is going to be real interesting because if he's more, if he's moving like and grooving more, they already have that high post offense and then the blue arrow Jamal Murray. I think that they could do some like do some things because they were that close to a conference finals berth last year. So I think the Nuggets would be one of those teams that you really look for to, to take a swing at the finals. They're, they're a little uneven, but I wouldn't be surprised about it. On the other side, um, Philly disappointed me. So I think it's whoever, whoever feels like they can, whoever feels like they want to try and beat Milwaukee have at it. But if the Bucks don't make the finals, Giannis out. Giannis got to go after that because they really would have screwed up. Yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, um, for me, I think in the West, um, obviously you got your Clippers and your Lakers that are like the top two teams to really expect to come out of the West. Uh, My sleeper team out of the West would be the Nuggets just because I think the addition of Bobo really helps strength adds more depth to the bench and creates another dynamic, especially if you do a big lineup where you actually, like they did when you have Jokic playing the point guard and you can have Bobo be that replacement guy at the center and with his um, versatility of especially offensively being able to put the ball on the floor and still be able to shoot it at a decent uh, percentage rate. I think that brings an extra demographic for the Nuggets that it's going to be really hard to defend, especially for teams that have depth but may not let may not have all the size possible like the Lakers or uh, especially for the Lakers. I think they could be a really good matchup for them. So I think Denver will be a, a definite dark horse for me in the West. As far as the East, obviously you got to go with the Bucks. Um, they ha- they're in the best position to basically win it all this year. Um, so I would expect them to perform at that level and it'll be very hard to stop them. But uh, my dark horse for me in the East will be Boston. Um, the Celtics, they have four guys that can get you 20-plus more and can put the ball and get you a bucket at any given time. And that's very hard to defend, especially in a subtle situation like this where your ori- original rhythm when you have an offensive flow and an offensive system may not be in full uh, – Maybe it may not be fully uh, intact um, as you're trying to restart the season. So – Sometimes you need to just be able to go back to AAU playground basketball and put the, and go one on one in isolation and do what you got to do to put the ball in the bucket. And you got four guys on the Boston Celtics that can dig, that can give you that at an efficient rate anywhere on the court. Um, and that and having that offensive mindset behind uh, Brad Stevens and his defensive schemes, I think that's going to be very beneficial and very hard and very uh, hard to sort of defend. And quite frankly, be very uh, interesting to see down the stretch when it comes to the playoff and who can be a dark horse per se to really catch up to teams like um, the, the Milwaukee Bucks and the and the reigning champions, uh, Toronto Raptors. Let's go, Drew. Uh, unmute yourself, sir, and then Ricky. 
<laughs> I think I'm good this time. Um, I think I think it's going to go chalk in the West in terms of I think we'll see the collision course of uh, the Clippers and the Lakers. Um, as far as the East goes, I want to see Bucks in Miami. Miami will probably be my dark horse because I'm a Jimmy Butler fan, and I think they they may have the most improved player and the defensive player of the year in, in Bam Adebayo. They got shooters. They got young guys that don't know that they're not supposed to be this good yet. Um, and I think they can they can threaten. They can threaten the Bucks even with um, Giannis over there. Um, switching back over to the West, I've always thought that the Clippers just had too much for LeBron and the Lakers, too deep, and they added more players uh, before the pandemic. Um, if they could just get the guys on the same page, keep them in the bubble, <laughs> uh, and stay healthy, I think just Kawhi and uh, Lou Will. Pat Bev, I think all those guys, they just, they just they got too many dogs, man. Paul George, it's going to be hard for LeBron and AD, I think. Are we going to see playoff P or or playoff P from his Indiana days finally? As in the I, I first one was bad. I think we'll see PG step up, man. That's, that's good. <laughs> I think we'll see him step up, man. I mean, he's... I feel like he should have he should feel less pressure because of the guys that are around him. He shouldn't feel like he has to do as much as he had to do in those Indiana days. Um and be able to play with a level of comfort that would allow him to show out. Yeah, I think Chris and Drew both made great points. I totally agree with Drew that I think the Heat are the best matchup for the Bucks. Uh I think that, you know, the Heat just have so many shooters. Duncan Robinson's like one of the best shooters ever pretty much this year by the numbers, and he's someone who just totally came out of nowhere. Uh, Edebayo, as Drew said, breakout player this year. Butler is like that high-level guard who you can run everything through, the offensive initiator in the half-court set. You know he doesn't turn the ball over. He's a monster at getting to the line. This year he couldn't make a three to save his life, and he was still one of the most effective players in the league. It's really a testament to you know how solid of an all-around player he is. When even when his shooting falls out, he was still so effective. Uh, I think you know everyone's looking at, and then I agree with Chris's point about Paul George too. Like I think Paul George is the swing factor for the Clippers. Like if we get the best version of Paul George, the Clippers are the best team. But Paul George has not been the best version of himself this season. A lot of it was because he was recovering from shoulder surgery at the start of the year. He got some extra rest now. We'll see, you know, where his game's at when the playoffs start. Uh, and, yeah, I think, you know, everyone is looking at the Clippers and Lakers and the Bucks as, like, the three teams that are obviously, you know, clear-cut head and shoulders above everyone else. If I had to choose between those three teams in the field, I would certainly take one of those three teams. Uh, personally, I'm pulling for the Clippers because we got Joakim Noah on that roster now. I think it'd be really f a nice storyline to see Noah get a ring. Uh, and yeah, in terms How of cool would it be to see Noah antagonize LeBron yes. for another playoff series? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I feel like I got to give a prediction, right? And I really, I, I, Clippers were my preseason pick. Uh, I kind of want to go Lakers now, though, because LeBron's just playing at such a high level. They're, the Lakers' supporting cast is, like, pretty bad, especially without Bradley now playing. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you space the floor, you run the two-man game between LeBron and Davis, and they've been so locked in all year. So I guess I'll go Lakers for my pick. But I think it, you know, hopefully there's no disaster and, like, the players are able to stay healthy. And so far the bubble seems like it's been effective in terms of the test. But, like, Let's be honest, they're by no means out of the woods. Like the NBA is crossing its fingers really, really hard that like 
this isn't a disaster and that a lot of guys don't get sick. Uh, but I think, you know, I guess I'll go Lakers and hope that every, you know, that we just get to see the best players on the floor decide the season. I'll also yeah, Ricky, we, before you came on, that's well, – go ahead, Josh. No, I was going to just a real brief point uh, to the Miami component of it. I also want to – I would want to check out and see how Kendrick Nunn's going to perform because he was making himself a candidate for potentially rookie of the year throughout this season. He was he, he was one of those emerging stars, unknown, undrafted stars and on, the, on the Miami Heat roster. So I want to see how he performs as well with Miami as he goes – as you know, they go through this bubble. Yeah, yeah. Kendrick was Kendrick would be representing man. Was, hopefully he'll have a a good uh, ending to the season as he had a, a start. But uh, like you say, Ricky, you know we we got into that before you uh, came on, and we you know we talked about Lou Will and stuff, of course, as well. But hopefully, you know the the most important prediction is that everybody comes through healthy, and no, there's nothing bad or tragic that comes from this bubble play. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to throw out a, I'll throw out a finals prediction and I'm, I'll go with the chalk and say that, uh, you know, LA Lakers and Milwaukee in the finals, I think for the, for, the, for two main reasons, like Chris said, the pressure will be so tough on Milwaukee if they don't at least get to the finals this year. And I want to see, you know, I want to see, uh, Giannis go super Saiyan. And, and really reach his full potential. And I want to see him and LeBron. I think if we don't have that matchup, it'll be something like that we regret, like not seeing Kobe and LeBron. So I want to see that matchup in the finals. But no, like y'all say, with Miami, Miami and, and the Bucks in the Eastern finals could be a dog fight, and that would be pretty cool. I'm kind of rooting for Toronto, too, because – you no know, people have been sleeping on Toronto. They're still a very good team. I want you know. Hopefully they'll they'll come out with some dog in them and, and really, really like with a chip on their shoulder and show teams that like look we're we're still the champions. We we should be respected. So you know maybe they'll maybe they'll get to that place too where they'll they'll uh, upset things and you know they, I guess they're still the two C right now. So it wouldn't be too much of an upset, but. They'll they'll reassert themselves is what I'm saying, and you know I've spoken of the Clippers before, but then but Denver too, you know Denver may throw out a monster squad and have like five six eleven dudes out there, <laughs> and they may upset the whole apple cart. So I'm looking for fun. I'm looking for you know if we don't have a whole if we don't have a whole throwing off of of the powers in the league. You know, at least at least give me LA, you know, LeBron and, and Giannis in the finals and I'll be happy. So um yeah. Any 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 other you you other three guys you want to throw out a finals prediction real quick before we before we send it off? I mean for me it pretty much was gonna be the same. Uh Lakers and Bucks for me. And um yeah, I'm giving it to LeBron. I think LeBron's gonna come out of here with a ship. I, I I think he's gonna come out here with his fourth one. Okay. Flip was in the heat. How about that? Ooh. Yo, if somebody gives me real good odds, I will put a bet down. I will put down twenty dollars to say LeBron doesn't make the finals, but y'all gotta give me good odds. 
Y'all got to give me like seven to one. <laughs> it, sure, Chris. I, I'm. Did you did you make your bet with? Uh, no, not after that Eugene first game. Not after that first game. I I could not stomach the idea. I couldn't even think of anything that the White Sox were gonna do. So we're gonna table that at least for right now. <laughs> Somebody make a bet with Chris. He's he's sounding like a real degenerate right now. So go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and give him some action. I'm like I'm like. Um, Oh my gosh! Why can't I remember my man's name from Chappelle's show? His right hand man. I'm like Donnell in the in the cigarette Ashley truck, Ray. man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting the, we're getting the second stimulus, baby. Right. <laughs> I bought these cigarettes straight cash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those cigarettes the rest of the rest of our lives. You already I'm know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you gonna be. Yes, sir. I hear you, man. I'm, I'm rooting for that. I'm, I'm rooting for I'm hit somebody in their face with some money like uh, like T.I. and A.T.L. <laughs> I hear you, man. Let's all, let's all thrive. Let's all wish that for ourselves as we continue on. And, uh, yeah, Ricky, man, thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we got to gotta do this again soon sometime, man. But, uh you know, let let everybody know how to reach you online or whatever, or follow you or whatever, and um, you know, yeah, you know, just let them know how to do that. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at sbn underscore ricky. Right now, I've been doing a newsletter uh, where I'm doing some sort of weird video game series with Western Illinois. Uh, yeah, what's your your 18th year with them? Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, it was when well, I was at SB Nation. I got. You know, when the pandemic hit, there was no more sports to write about. So I'm like, well, I need stuff to write about. So my idea was that I was going to start playing College Hoops 2K8, the last college game that 2K Sports made. And I was just going to take the worst team in the game, which was Western Illinois, and I was going to simulate all the games, but just do the recruiting. And for some reason, people enjoy this. And I, like, stream the games on Twitch, and there's a bunch of people who watch it and uh, there's like 7,000 people on the newsletter who, you know, interacts. People have made a Reddit page. I hear from people all the time who are fans of it. So that's been fun. I've been doing that. Uh, I guess I'm going to keep doing it, even though it's going to be sort of weird now that real sports are back. Uh, but yeah, now I'll be at SB Nation again, too, so you can follow me there as well. That's good. Ir Irvin's got to get you, give you a, a, a spot on the coaching staff out there after all this, right? <laughs> hey, he's doing what I did, but in real life, which is way more impressive. So... <laughs> Yeah, they got yeah, some good coming in. That'd be fun. All right, all right, fellas, give out give out your credentials, man. Let us know what's going on with you. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at at his mind on paper. You can follow me on Instagram at that guy Josh Hicks and on Twitter at jhicks042. And also tune into the In the Scope podcast every week. Um, a lot of good stuff coming your way, man. Definitely a lot of good stuff coming your way. Yeah. Uh, former Bear Mickey Pruitt is going to be on the show this week. So uh, definitely tune in to that on uh, War on Anchor. And uh, he'll, you, you'll hear him on Sports Zone Chicago pretty soon as well. We've worked that out again. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to my pitching at the end. But, Chris, give your stuff real quick. 
Follow me on Instagram. Still can't believe it. <laughs> Jake25. That's Jake T W O and the number five. Um, gonna do some gonna do some videos throughout the season for our WNBA coverage on there. Uh, on Twitter at Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten. And as always, if you got some hate you want to send my way, my email is cjpennant5 at gmail.com. Fill up my inbox. It gets boring in there with all the, the Grubhub and DoorDash stuff. So I want to get some real mail, even if it's haters. Get, get, give them some betting action, too. Don't just yeah. give them some. <laughs> Separate me from my bread, man, if you think you can. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, yeah, me, uh, work underscore right on Twitter, uh, K-Mean on IG. Uh, we are Regal Radio, wherever you, uh, you know, all major platforms, you can find us. And uh, War on Anchor, like I said, the podcast platform, we get our stuff out on uh, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff, iHeartRadio. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. You hear this show here in the scope, and um, all our uh, what's uh, Second City Sports D and Davis show. Uh, you know, shout out to shout out to the minds. We sent them off good yesterday, but um, yeah, we just keeping them moving, man. We're running with war NBA podcast. Going to do keep trying to do some live streams every week, at least one through the rest of this bubble schedule. So uh, keep looking out for us and uh, keep showing us love, and we'll show it right back. And as always, keep bouncing. This.